Welcome friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life. And we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk, and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready. It's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way you could always support is by sharing it on social media and with the people that you love or by leaving a review. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you so much in advance. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health and your life. All right, so years ago, I began taking on a more spiritual approach to life. And with it, I realized that I had spent most of my life living with an intense fear of death. I discovered that the fear of death is a really strange subconscious motivator, and it is only through the acceptance and surrender to it that we can change our relationship to living. Today's guest helped me come to this realization. She gave me a spiritual lens and an understanding of our soul, our consciousness, our energy, our truest essence, and that we have an opportunity to do something magnificent with our lives. And when we accept the inevitable, our planning becomes much more about the quality and richness of our time while we're here on this earth. Today's guest, Anita Morjani, is a New York Times bestselling author of Dying to Be Me. She has an incredible story of a four-year battle with cancer, falling into a coma, and being given mere days to live. She journeyed into a near-death experience and then returned to find herself in a new relationship to her body, where she was able to completely heal. Her book, Dying to Be Me, has sold over a million copies worldwide in over 45 languages. Anita is also an incredible speaker and has gone on to capture the hearts and attention of millions across the globe and has been featured on The Dr. Oz Show, Fox News, The Today Show, CNN's Anderson Cooper 360, National Geographic Channel, and many more. Today, we are sitting down to discuss why being sensitive is the new strong, and more specifically, how self-love is the portal to healing. If you're ready to live your fullest, most vibrant self, I'm so excited to have you join us today. So hi, Anita. Thank you so much for being here. I am incredibly grateful to have you on the show today. I actually originally came across your story years ago when I started taking on more of a spiritual approach to life, and I remember hearing your miraculous story of falling into a coma after a four-year battle with cancer and really only being given days to live. And I remember you journeyed into this near-death experience 
and then back to becoming conscious and completely healed. And so after hearing your story, this was truly this like turning point for me when I began to acknowledge and finally confront my own death. And so I wanted to share that because watching you tell your story was that moment for me where I was like, oh, wow, I've been, I've had this fear of death, but it's subconsciously triggering certain behaviors in me that aren't really aligned with my highest self. Wow. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that my story was a turning point for you and and I guess uh, helped you in some way, which is exactly why I share it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think for most of my life, I had this intense fear of death, which interestingly on a subconscious level, I think it motivated me or really gave me an excuse (laughs) of living somewhat irresponsibly because I kept reminding myself, okay, I can die someday. So, you know, I could only have one day left to live. On the other hand, now I work with a lot of people who also have this fear and it drives them, some of them to the point of, you know, endless biohacking or trying to have age extension or being so diligent about the way that they live from a place of well-being. And so I believe we all have a different relationship to death. And so I'm curious for you, if you would mind starting with a little bit about this story, right? That maybe some of the listeners haven't heard yet, which led you to this incredible work that you're doing today and how this really shaped your relationship to not only the afterlife, but truly being able to live your highest aligned life now and living it really from this place of fearlessness. Great. I'd love to start at this point because this really is what has shaped my life. I call it like my the second half of my life. Um, so basically, death has taught me how to live and, um, and experiencing death has made me live life more fearlessly. So ironically, death actually teaches you how to live. Um, so prior to having the near-death experience, I was diagnosed with cancer, with lymphoma, which progressed over a period of four years and reached the point where I was at end stage. And when I say end stage, I really mean like end stage. The doctors told my family that I wasn't even going to make it through the night because by that point, my organs had shut down. I weighed 85 pounds. I looked like a skeleton. My hair had all fallen out. My my lungs were filled with fluid. I had tumors from the base of my skull, like the back of my the base of my skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my chest, all the way down to my abdomen. Um, so these tumors, many of them were the size of golf balls. So the cancer had spread and metastasized throughout my body. And uh, my organs were now shutting down one by one and I was in a coma, and I was not expected to come out of the coma. So my family were around me, and of course, everybody was distraught, and people were being informed. Um, My brother was getting on a plane to fly down to come and see me, and this was happening to me in a hospital in Hong Kong. But unbeknownst to everyone around me, even though my physical body was dying and At death, it was like the organs were already shut down and my eyes were closed and I was in a full-on coma. My spirit, my soul had already left my body. Before I went into the coma, I was in a tremendous amount of pain and fear. 
I, I feared death. I feared the cancer, what it was doing to my body. I feared the treatments that I was getting. I feared everything. But when I went into the coma and my soul or my spirit left my body, I felt incredible. I felt light. I felt free. And I felt this feeling that I just call divine love. It was like I was just bathed in this feeling of just love that was so unconditional. It was like I was loved just because I existed. And there was this feeling of coming home, like I was being welcomed back after living a hard and traumatic life. It was like I was being welcomed home. And, and I've, I also was aware that I was surrounded by other beings, other spiritual beings, some of whom I recognized from this physical life, but I didn't recognize all of them, but they were all there to just welcome me and just to just, just shower me with this love. And the interesting feeling was that I felt that there was no judgment whatsoever for anything that I could have perceived to have done wrong. Like I spent my entire life trying to win everybody's approval, always feeling that I wasn't good enough and I had to try harder and I had to be more. And I was always afraid of disappointing people. And I always was afraid of not receiving enough love. And But here I was when I crossed over, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't even have to try. They love me just because I exist. It, it was like, if I had to put words to that feeling, it's kind of like that. But it was uh, it was a feeling more magnified than anything that you can imagine here in the physical. And, and there was a lot that happened on, uh, on the other side while I was there because time is not linear. And I was in the coma for about 30 hours, but so much happened that if I, when I speak about all the different things I learned, it's like, even years on, I'm still telling people new things that I didn't haven't told mm-hmm. them before. So it's it's like you enter a completely different dimension. And so words are not words aren't good enough because there are no words in our English language to describe a lot of what I experienced while I was in that realm. And so I'm always coming out with new words or new ways of describing things. And so while I was there, I encountered the the spirit of my deceased dad, my dad who had died 10 years prior to that. And even though I had a very turbulent relationship with my dad while he was in the physical, all I felt from him there was pure, unconditional love. And I felt that he he truly, like, even though I didn't feel his love when he was here in the physical, mm-hmm. I just understood on that side that that was a limitation um, and his cultural upbringing that caused him to be that way. But as a soul, as a spirit, he loved me unconditionally. I realized that when we cross over, not only do we leave behind our physical bodies, but with it, you know, we leave behind our biology, our physical body, we leave behind our our gender, our race, our culture, our beliefs, our religion, all the layers of 
of beliefs that we have accumulated over a lifetime, we shed all of that when we cross over. And what crosses over really is just our pure essence. And our pure essence is pure love. It is absolutely pure love, where from a space of love, we can evaluate what kind of life we've lived, whether we've Mm -hmm. done the best we've had, whether we've hurt people or not. We evaluate from that space of pure love and compassion and empathy. So it's just the most beautiful space to be. But also, I was able to look back on my life and understand exactly why I had the cancer. And I just understood how it was that every thought and decision had led me to that point in my life where I was lying there on the hospital bed dying. And I also came to a point where I realized it was where I I felt that I was being guided that to come back, that I realized it was not my time to die, but I wasn't being forced to come back. It was like I reached this point where I felt it was my dad who was telling me that you need to go back. This is as far as you can go because it's not your time to die. And if you keep going, you won't be able to turn back. But again, I wasn't being forced. And so I, but no part of me wanted to come back because I felt my physical body was sick and dying. I had been suffering. My family was suffering, taking care of me. And so I wanted to keep going on that side. But what I was being told was that now that I understood why I had got sick, if I took this understanding back with me, that my body would heal very, very quickly. And part of the understanding is that we are a lot more powerful than we have been led to believe, Mm -hmm. as are our bodies. And there's a lot more things which I will unravel for you during the course of our conversation. But basically, my dad wanted me to know that I had gifts waiting for me on this side. And I had already suffered and I needed to go back to experience the gifts Mm. and that, uh, and he wanted me to know to go back and live my life fearlessly. And so I did, I, as soon as I made the decision to come back, I started to come out of the coma and within days, the tumors in my body started to shrink and my organs started functioning again. And the doctors were blown away. They just could not explain it. They just, had no idea what it is that could switch a body from, and there's a medical term for it, which I don't remember it, but where the body is actually going into dying, like the cells are shutting down, the organs are shutting down and everything is dying in your body to suddenly everything is regenerating and rejuvenating. And that's just what started happening from the moment I came out of the coma and they couldn't, they they couldn't understand it or explain it. But within four days, five days, my tumors had shrunk by about 60, 70%. In three weeks, they could find no trace of cancer in my body. And I just had to regain my strength and my muscles and everything and gain some weight and all. And and then I was able to go home and live my life cancer-free. Wow. It's so miraculous. It's so incredible. 
One of the parts of your story that really rang home to me was you were sharing about how the cancer actually saved your life. And you talk about how one of the reasons that you got cancer was because of the lack of love for self. And only in recognizing this lack of love, could you return to love and experience love for yourself on the other side coming back? And that really stuck with me because in my practice, I find so many individuals have this deep, deep desire to heal, but perhaps are unaware of the connection between how self-love is often that portal to healing. And it's through that courageous step of doing the inner work and healing the wounds that are built around us to prevent that self-love, you know, to cultivate and and allow ourselves to have access to that we often block the healing. And so I wanted to dive a a little bit deeper into this huge lesson, because I think it's going to be so profound for the, for the listeners. And why it's so important for them to kind of rethink their relationship to themselves in this healing process. I love that question. That's my favorite question ever. So yes. So the biggest lesson I learned, the biggest reason that I did that I, my body got sick was because I did not love myself and I was a people pleaser, a doormat. I put everybody ahead of myself. And even when I got sick, I worried more about other people. You know, if they if they were taking care of me, I would hide the fact that I needed help or I would hide how sick I was, although it was pretty obvious, but I would hide it. I would not tell people because I didn't want to put anybody out. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to trouble anyone. And so it's like the universe kept giving me these wake up calls that were louder and louder and louder because I was absolutely unable to receive. I was a giver. I was giving and giving and giving to, as I said, to the point of being a doormat and Anybody that came to me with any problem, I couldn't turn them away. And I would think everybody's problem is more important than mine. And so it wasn't even the cancer that healed me of this issue of being a people pleaser, a doormat, a non-receiver, a giver, and so on. It wasn't even the cancer that healed me. All the way through the cancer, even, I was still so aware of other people, but not of my own needs. It was death that healed me, which is Mm. why it's so important for me to share this, because I don't want people to only realize this when they die. And I don't want them to go through what I went through. So the thing is, pop culture has made the idea of self-love very popular and all. But what I invite people to do is to really, really go deep when it comes to self-love. And this is what I learned. I learned that when you really love yourself, we're not talking about just the physical body. We're not talking about loving yourself so that you can extend your life and so that you can, you know, um, go go have makeovers and stuff. You can do all that, which is great. You know, I have no problem with all of that. I think it's fun and fantastic. But real self-love, real self-love means loving the soul that has chosen to come and express itself through this physical body. That's where real self-love starts. It's about getting acquainted 
with that soul and the journey that it has been on to take you to where you are in this moment. You need to get to know your soul and you need to love that soul and you need to be able to actually hug yourself, look yourself in the in the mirror, look at your eyes and say, wow, my beautiful soul has been through so much. And so I want to also share that when I came out of the coma, a few days after I came out of the coma, I was feeling so like euphoric because I had I had learned that my soul had chosen to come through this body. And now I had to revere this beautiful soul and it had been through so much. And so a few days later, I'd still not gotten out of bed yet. I was still recovering and healing. And then this nurse comes in and she says, I want you to start using your legs because you haven't used your legs in a while. And, you know, my muscles, I weighed 85 pounds and my muscles had completely deteriorated. So this was after the NDE and now I was recovering. So she says, let me help you just walk around the hospital a little bit. So I get up and um, I've got an IV stand and I'm holding the IV stand with one hand and I'm holding her arm with the other hand. And so we're walking around the hospital room and I say to her, I'd like to go and look in the mirror in the bathroom because I haven't seen myself in ages. And when I went to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was actually horrified by what I saw because I hadn't seen myself in so long because I looked completely gaunt with my cheeks sunken in, my hair was um, all gone, I was bald, and um, I looked just nothing like what I expected, what I looked in my head, but I wasn't horrified out of vanity. I was horrified because I could tell by looking at myself in the mirror what I had been through, and I knew that I had put myself through it. Mm. I had no one to blame except mm. myself. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I actually started crying and I hugged myself and I said, wow, you have been through so much and I'm the one that never allowed you to receive. I'm the one that never loved you. I'm the one that put you through this. And I made this commitment and I said to myself, I will never, ever forsake you again. Never. I will prioritize your problems and your issues and take care of you. And I have, I looked in the mirror and I said that and I hugged myself and I said, and I said, even if other people let you down, I will never let you down. And this was me speaking, looking into my own eyes, speaking to my own soul and I made that commitment. And that is usually what I ask people to do. That is self-love. Mm. It's loving yourself when you are flat on your face. It's loving yourself when you feel awful, when, when you've let people down, when people are disappointed with you. It's being able to look at the soul and say, it's okay. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to dust you down. I'm going to help you through this journey. Absolutely. So, yeah, we are our own worst judges. Mm -hmm. and, and one other thing I wanted to say about that piece of loving yourself, when you don't love yourself, what you end up doing is you deny that soul, that piece of divinity from expressing itself through you. 
Your soul is a piece of God. It is a facet of God or a facet of divinity. And when you don't love yourself, you are denying God or the divine from expressing itself through you. And we don't have the right to do that. Yeah. It's so incredible. I remember the moment that it clicked for me that I could feel broken and unworthy and you know, not enough. And at the same time, I could love myself or I could look back on who I used to be and, and have all of that judgment towards myself. I could still love myself in that experience. And through loving myself, that's what's healed those parts of myself from the past. And so I kept, I, I, I've kept this sort of statement front of mind from, for, for a long time, which is it's not mutually exclusive. Like if I don't if I don't work out today because I'm not feeling as aligned, you know, it it doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me love myself any less. I can still love myself in this, in this moment. If I don't eat the exact foods that my body probably would feel the best on, I don't love myself any less. And it's this delicate balance. I believe of finding, finding that compass of always coming home to, to that self-love. A hundred percent. And a lot of people believe that if they love themselves and they love every part of themselves, that they never work on themselves or that, that, that mm-hmm. they'll never like the, that if they have traits that are not serving them, that they're just going to love them and not work on them. On the contrary, it's actually the other way around. When you love yourself, you actually want to be the best version of yourself. You feel more inspired. You also, the other thing is you're much more easily able to, see those um, negative traits about yourself and not be harsh on yourself. And you'll say, oh gosh, I got to work on this. Oh my God, I've got these codependent tendrils tendency. And, you know, when I learned to love myself after my near-death experience, it has, it's not like I suddenly became this perfect person. No, but I was able to see myself as from an observer without judging and beating myself up saying, Oh my gosh, I got these codependency tendencies and tendrils. I need to see that. I need to heal that. Oh my gosh, I'm like this, or I'm like that. And previously those were hot buttons that would trigger me and I would stuff them down and not address them. And that's what we do when we don't love ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I lived in that story for many, many years. And I also lived in a story which you brought up and I've heard you talk about, which is this idea that most of us have grown up in an environment where we're taught to really fear everything. Um, I know in my own home, there was this fabric of fear woven into every choice that my brother and I made. And I'm sure that what my parents were doing was that they were trying to keep us safe and that's what they learned. And so they were doing the best that they could. And yet that fabric created imprints that then caused this anxiousness to go out and love life and, and be in the experience and the expression of life. And so I was wondering if we can discuss this idea of living, you know, living our lives fearlessly from that place of love, because you often share that it is love that actually keeps us safe, not the fear but from a parenting standpoint or from you know a mentoring standpoint or people around us, they think that it's the fear and the projection of fear that's going to keep us safe. Yes, yes, exactly. So 
So this is what uh, it's it's very common where, where people like very often people say to me that, yeah, but I need to instill fear in my kids because it'll keep them safe. And I'm like, no, love keeps us safer than fear, because when you love yourself, you take care of yourself. You want to keep yourself safe. You learn how to keep yourself safe because you want to live long. You you want to protect yourself. And so what concerns me, like even now, the last couple of years, people are very, very anxious because they're all living in fear right now. And what happens is, so, so what I teach people is that when you learn to live from this space, what I call the space of love, it's about turning inward. And I teach people what I call the inside out view. When you realize that you are a soul expressing itself through this physical body, the idea is to really get in touch with that soul. Why has the soul come here? What is the journey? What is its purpose? What is, you know, and and the clues in finding that out is what are your passions? What is it that makes you happy? What is it you came here to do? What do you feel you came here to express? And so when we get in, start to get in touch with that, what I tell people is we need to allow our souls to express themselves through us. So it's a case of living life from the inside out. It's about allowing spirit to work through you. What a lot of people tend to do is we tend to see life as an outside-in process. The outside world triggers how we feel inside. So we pick up all our fears from the outside world. Whatever is happening outside, it triggers us and it triggers our fears and our anxieties and our stresses. And at no point in our education system or our parental upbringing are we taught that, wait, stop, you have to tune in from the inside out. What does your soul want? What does spirit want for you? So what I teach people is to actually develop a habit of living from the inside out, which is allow spirit to work through you so that instead of you reacting to the outside world, you are creating your world by what spirit wants, by allowing it to express itself through you. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do, but it's a whole process of how to do it. Yeah, it's incredible. I haven't ever heard it spoken that way. It's really, really beautiful to just be in witness of that it's, you know, the ex- the soul expressing itself. Yeah. And I'm always thinking of it at, from more of a, like a law of attraction perspective of what's being attracted into our lives. And so I loved how you described it a bit differently and I'm going to like sit with that and would love to do some of those exercises. They sound sound incredible. I wanted to discuss a little bit too about that context because when we talk about like shifting from the external world to the internal world, we then shift our personal awareness and we allow the awareness or the attention that we're putting on something to shift. And so you talk a little bit about how, well, what if we took all of this cancer research and all of this money and all of this time and investment. And we shifted that awareness towards wellness programs. And we could do this for anything that, you know, in our lives right now, where we need to shift sort of these cultural and societal norms in order to create a better planet for everyone. 
how can people start taking that on and start doing that? Because I understand when you go online and you're looking at a very thin lens, it is hard to, to be in witness that there is an awareness of, like you said, in your, your warehouse analogy, there's so much that we can't see. There's so much that is beyond what we're currently experiencing. And I trust that in, in, in allowing ourselves to be witness to what is beyond that current lens that we're seeing in our life right now, that's when solutions start to happen. Yes. Solutions start to happen when we look beyond our current lens, when we look beyond our current field. Like um, some new languaging that I've recently started to use is what I call the cultural field and the esoteric field. Mm -hmm. So basically right now, when you look at the cultural field, let's, let's just take cancer as an example, um, cancer awareness. For example, I don't do the whole October breast cancer awareness month thing. I don't follow it. I don't support it. I don't support cancer awareness. I don't support cancer research. But if somebody said to me that, oh, I'm into wellness awareness and wellness and and how how do people who have spontaneous healings, how do they heal? I want to fund research into that. I would be all over it like a rash. (laughs) That's what I'm interested in. Because again, you know, like with even with law of attraction, what you focus on is actually what you are expanding. Right. And so I noticed the more we have cancer awareness, the more cancer we're actually seeing. So I would actually want to shift the focus. Now, unfortunately, the way our paradigm is, is that the the whole medical paradigm, the whole cancer industry, it is an industry that is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And so that culture is extremely strong and persistent. And so there are only a, a few lone stars that can see beyond it and see that cancer is not what we have been taught to believe. And that is one of the things that I learned very clearly when I was on the other Mm -hmm. side, Mm -hmm. that cancer is not it doesn't start from the physical. It will, you cannot eradicate the cancer that we have in the planet just by focusing on the physical alone. Cancer research will never get to the bottom of cancer until they start realizing that it has an emotional and an energetic component to it. And so that is one of the key things that I learned on the other side. But this paradigm we live in that is so invested in cancer culture, it would be very hard to change it because because billions of people live off of cancer. They Mm -hmm. live off of it and trillions of dollars are made from it. And again, I just want to be clear here that the doctors, it's not their fault. The individual people involved, it's not their fault. The doctors who treated me were amazing. They were compassionate. They're beautiful people. They go into this industry with the intention of helping people. It is the culture. It's our cultural field. Most people cannot see beyond our cultural field. What is our cultural field? Our cultural field is our marinade. It's what we're marinated in. It's everything we're being fed you know, through the media, the mainstream media, our social media, everything we've been fed by our parents, by our schools, by our government, all of it. 
That is what creates a cultural field around us, which is what informs our thinking. It tells us what to believe, what not to believe, what's true, what's not true. When I died, when I crossed over, it shattered through that. And I realized, oh, my God, there's a whole other way to look at things Mm. that we weren't taught. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's not the way things seem. But this paradigm, this cultural field is so persistent that, you know, so in a way it's like I've been sticking to my view. So, so when people, so, so in the beginning, when I started talking about it, when it happened to me, I had people debunking me and people saying that what I was saying was dangerous, particularly about cancer. I had people saying I was delusional, but So I stopped sharing my views, but I still continue to live this way, my Mm -hmm. own life, Mm -hmm. simply because I knew knew that if I were to go back and be the person I was before, I was that person who got cancer. And I knew and I understood exactly what caused the cancer. I understood exactly what healed the cancer in me. And so I knew that I learned this and this happened to me for a reason and It wasn't my job to convince anyone else, but it was my mission to live it myself. And that's what my dad meant when he said, go back and live your life fearlessly. I didn't know this at the time, but what he meant was you're going to find that hardly anyone lives this way. And so I had to live this way. I had to continue to believe in it, even though most of the people around me didn't. And today, like 15 years on, I have people saying, oh my gosh, how do you, how do you have everything work out for you the way you do? You're like the queen. I literally have people telling me, you're like the queen of manifestation. How do you do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess you have to be delusional. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. It's bringing up so many emotions in me because my father cured terminal cancer when I was in my teens and he did a very, a similar approach that a lot of people are doing now in the sense of going vegan and, you know, cutting out all sugar. And, but the interesting thing he also did was he did the meditation and the mindfulness practices Mm -hmm. and he, and he went within. And to this day, he still does Joe Dispenza's work and does his morning meditations and really witnesses his body as being completely healed. And when I went to the doctors and I said, why don't you want to know what he did? They were just like, they were just like, oh, it's a misdiagnosis. And I was was like, this isn't a misdiagnosis. Isn't you guys made a mistake. This actually worked. And I've similarly to you have, have had to really let go of any frustration and have so much compassion when, when I share, and yet it's not received. And, and I've taken on a similar approach of just, you know, I get to live from this place as much as I can and, and keep coming back to compassion and forgiveness for myself. And I get to witness my father 30 years later being completely cured still. And that's what it's just so beautiful because again, it's just another Testament to that, to how this process can work. I love that. I love, I love that story about your dad. And he's also a testament to how our culture, our paradigm mm-hmm. is really not interested in healing. Mm-hmm. 
They yeah. are interested in cancer. It's just proof. I was told the same thing. I actually said the same thing. I said, why aren't, why aren't people researching why I healed? And the same thing, I was told this by a doctor slash scientist person said, oh, you were probably misdiagnosed. And I said, what? By five different doctors over a period of four years? Because when I was first diagnosed, I then had a second opinion. And then over the period of four years, different people, different. Mm -hmm. I, I, had a, I had two different oncologists again later. So like totally five people had diagnosed me over a period of four years. All of them misdiagnosed me. But so it's easier for them to do that than to say, there is a whole other way of looking at this. Right. Yeah. It, it really woke me up to this work and then to some of these deeper, deeper layers of work specifically around, you know, how the subconscious then impacts the manifestation of sickness. And that's why I'm really excited actually about your newest book, which I've been diving into. And I love, I just got it a few days ago, um, <laughs> but this book called sensitive is the new strong, because I am that sensitive person. I am that empath and I'm the person who is sensing other you know, others' emotions, absorbing them, yes. being overwhelmed by the sensory overload of life, you know, trying to please people, having issues, cultivating feelings of self-worth within myself. And I think what's been interesting for me is the intensity of the world and what has happened over the past couple of years has made me very vigil and more empowered to become aware of these gifts because if I don't, then it feels like they're so overwhelming. I just want to go and hide. And so it's been this delicate balance of this beauty of saying, okay, you have these gifts in this world and how are you going to cope? So can we just dive a little bit into yes. your new book and why it's so important for, for individuals right now, specifically empaths to shift out of what I have done so much of my life, which is this victim mentality, um, wanting to shut down my unique gifts, wanting to shut down the heaviness of the world. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit about what the blessing is of being an empath and maybe some mindset, mindset shifts to, to help empower people that, that this can be an empowering way of living even in this time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I wrote this book because I didn't realize at the time that I was sick or at the time that I had, had the near-death experience, or even at the time that I wrote my first book, Dying to Be Me, I did not realize I was an empath. I didn't even know the term. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I knew that I was sensitive because my whole life people had have said to me, oh, you're so sensitive, you're so sensitive. But it had always been said to me in a way as if it was a flaw, a character flaw. And it was something that I had to work on because I was too sensitive for this world and, and I wouldn't get anywhere because I was so sensitive. And so it was, so I always believed that there was something wrong with me because I was so sensitive. Um, and so it was only a few years after the near-death experience and everything that um, I started to hear this term. And so I did a test online and found, wow, like there were 35 questions and I got 34 yeses out of 35. And I was like a full-blown empath. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. So I started diving into the subject and the, and the wonderful people that had written about this before, like Dr. Elaine Aaron and um, Doc and the and uh, the other famous one, um, her name is slipping me right now, but uh, she's brilliant. 
they had written mostly from a clinical point of view about empaths. Both of them are empaths and they've written books. Um, the, the other one was the survival, a survival's guide for empaths. And they've written mostly the clinical perspective. What I realized as I was reading some of their work is that, that I related to everything they said, everything. But I realized also that there is a spiritual component that empaths have, which is what, uh, which is the spin that I have on my book, Sensitive is the New Strong, where what I've done is I want empaths to realize that being an empath is not a curse because in the beginning, when we talk about the, uh, how an empath is affected by the energies of the world and how we take it on and how it can actually make us physically sick and so on, I, I came across a lot of empaths that say, how can I stop being an empath? I hate it. I wish I wasn't an empath. I realized that even the experience, the near-death experience I had, the healing I had, the reason why it was at the depth that it was and that it could get to me at my core was because I was an empath and I feel things at that depth. The gift that empaths have is that they have this depth of spiritualness that allows them to connect, to connect with the esoteric and the ethers that most non-sensitive, non-empath people, they don't have that. They don't have that capacity. So although they don't struggle as deeply as we do, they also don't have that gift of being able to connect the way we do. So I wanted to bring that out to the forefront first, and, and then we can dive into any direction you'd like about this. Yeah, it's so powerful because I... You know, there are days I wake up and I, and my husband is not highly sensitive. He's not enough. He actually is like working with our relationship coach to be, you know, to, to be more sensitive and to be able to hold space. And, and there's days I wake up and there's a bit of jealousy in me because of how he can just move through life with such consistency and isn't pulled right in, in yeah. all of these directions. And then there's days where I think he looks at me and he thinks, wow, it would be what a gift it is to be able to hold space or to walk in a room and feel what's going on or to know the person that needs an extra hug or to be able yes. to kind of telepathically see what's coming ahead or intuitively know what direction to take. And so it's been an interesting dialogue between between us. For the people who you know are are recognizing this right now, specifically just in in the world we're living in where we feel like there's divisiveness. We feel like the world's, you know, splitting in two directions. I actually think that's an illusion. I think we are actually waking up and coming together more and more. I think just what we're seeing on the outside is this division, but I'm, I'm holding true to that. It's actually waking us up and returning us to love. Are there any practices or things that you recommend in, in the book that help people kind of manage this way of being so that they can go back out into the world feeling empowered. Cause I think what's happening and I'm noticing this in my group of friends, I'm noticing this also in with a lot of entrepreneurs or there was this talk of like, I'm just going to shut my business down or I'm just going to turn off social media or, you know, I don't want to be a voice because I don't want to have that sort of backlash. I can't manage that. Right. I can't manage the experience in my body when that happens. 
And I don't want these powerful leaders, these light workers yes. to sh shut down. Exactly. And That's important. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I would like to address that. So basically what I would like empaths to know is first of all, the most important thing is to acknowledge that you are an empath and to understand what it means to be one. And that means that you do get affected by the energies around you. So you have to learn to manage that. And it's okay. There is nothing wrong with you. In fact, one of the things that I tell empaths is that not only is there nothing wrong with you, but you are the human 2.0. You are the human that we need to step into leadership because you are so empathic towards everybody and everything that's happening. You guys are the trailblazers when it comes to compassion, empathy, bringing peace, bringing harmony, because empaths really don't like disharmony, discord, conflict. Uh, empaths tend to avoid conflict. They tend to come into a situation and bridge. They like to bridge conflict. I notice myself doing that whenever I see this divisiveness, you know, with people right now being on different sides about whether it's about the masks or the, or the vax or whatever. I, I see myself trying to bridge the sides and say, look, I want you guys to see that all of you are coming at it from a place of fear. You're all like the two sides are just two sides of the same coin, mm -hmm. the coin mm -hmm. being fear. Um, we need to hear each other out. And empaths tend to do that. And empaths in the end are what will bridge the divisiveness, which I believe this divisiveness like you I'm optimistic and I see it as an opportunity for empaths to actually shine. So I don't want empaths to shut down or mm -hmm. to hide. I would like empaths to see this as this is your time. This is your time to shine in the world because the world, whatever we see that's happening that we don't like, is happening because empaths have always been in the shadows. It's because the louder and more aggressive voices among us are the ones who have always stepped into the leadership roles in whatever areas, whether it's in industry, whether, you know, what we have done is, and I want you to think about this from the time we're young, if we're sensitive, we're told, don't be so sensitive, grow a thicker skin. Boys are told boys don't cry. And so sensitivity, empathy, all of that is suppressed. We're actually told that you're not going to survive unless you can get ahead, unless you're more competitive and, and you're not going to get ahead if you're so sensitive. And so we are actually conditioned to believe that ruthlessness is a better trait than compassion. So if that's what we're conditioned to believe, then that's what people strive to be. And that's what we look up to. That's what we worship, the competitiveness, the ruthlessness. We worship people who are like that. We put them in positions of power. And then we wonder why the world is so mm. messed up or divided or why. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you look at the world, the, the major countries, wealthiest countries, they spend more money on developing weapons to kill each other than they do on on feeding each other. But when you ask anybody, anybody, do you want a war? No, nobody wants a war. Do you want to see hunger gone? 
Yes, everybody wants to see it gone. So if everybody wants it, why isn't that actually the case? It's because the wrong people step into power because the empaths also worship the wrong thing. We see what we have as a weakness. We have been conditioned to believe that compassion, empathy, all these things are a weakness and competitiveness, ruthlessness are strengths. Mm. We need to change the parameters of what it means to be strong. So the first step is to understand this and be aware of this and be aware that as an empath, you are actually needed in the world. You have what it takes for the next step of the human evolution. Because if we continue to believe that ruthlessness and all these are the parameters with which to measure strength, then we could be at the brink of our own extinction. But I'm optimistic. And that's why so many empaths are stepping up now. And you hear the word all over. And I actually believe that we even have our guides, our spirits on the other side, helping us. If empaths are willing to step up, you will find that you will have help because this is the time. Right. Absolutely. This is the time. And another thread that I've been seeing, which I've been empowering my clients around is that there's a subconscious belief of, well, everyone's suffering, so I can't be in my joy and my joy needs to be benchmarked or bookmarked for another day. Yeah. And I love how you interweave this idea that joy and laughter and play and getting back to our childlike wonder is one of the most important things we can do to heal this planet and heal yes. heal others because it's going to inspire in them the part of themselves that they've been hiding against. But right now, more than ever, I, I'm hearing that, well, I can't put up this exciting thing that happened because you know everyone else is struggling. And I keep reminding people that that is, and, and I'm curious your thoughts too, but I keep reminding people that you're allowed to be joyful right now. You're allowed to be in love. You're allowed to play. You're allowed to meet your partner. You're allowed to be excited about your career. Like we need that more than ever. More than ever, a hundred percent. And I can say several things about this. Like number one is that if you suppress your joy, if you are, um, if you don't allow yourself to feel joy, then you're not helping anyone around you. How does it help you? You then become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. You end up depleting your own energy and you end up becoming part of the problem. Number two, the other thing is that when you allow yourself to express your joy and your laughter, it's contagious. You give other people permission to laugh and feel joy. There are other people around you who are kind of feeling, oh, I don't dare feel this joy but because people are suffering. But when they see you laugh, it's like, oh, they start laughing and you've just given them permission to do that. The third thing I want to say about that is that when I died, I realized that we are all connected. We are all essences and we are all energy. And energy has no boundaries. My energy touches yours and yours touches the next person. Even though we are also individual souls or spirits, we basically can feel what each other are feeling when we don't have our bodies. We feel what each other are feeling. We don't even need language because our spirits, our essences are really, they're connected. There's no boundaries. So if you are deliberately like 
putting a glass ceiling on yourself and you are deliberately suppressing your joy and not allowing yourself to feel it because you're kind of looking at the world outside and using that as your bar, you are contributing towards bringing the energy of the whole down. But when you allow yourself unbridled joy and laughter, you're actually contributing to the whole because we are all connected. So when you think of yourself as one facet, like I sometimes use the analogy of, um, of if you are like a crystal, like a prism, you know, like um, one of these crystals with lots of facets, like a diamond, and you are one facet of the whole diamond. Um, if you allow yourself to shine, you're bringing up the value of the whole diamond. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so important because it's why we're here. It's why we're here. And then the cultural and societal conditioning and everything around us is like pushes us into the suffering. And then, and then we're like, oh, well, the suffering on the other side of the suffering is when we can finally, you know, like accomplish the thing that we want to accomplish or have the thing that we want. And it has to be hard. And there's just all of these imprints over and over and over again that keep us in that when really from a manifesting standpoint and from this idea of all being connected, if we're just tapping into this different energy of joy and play and love, life yeah. changes. Yeah. It does change. And if people started to realize that we are all connected, we can actually impact something on the other side of the world mm -hmm. by being joyful. So when somebody says to me that, oh, it's all very well, you know, you finding your joy, but how does that help a starving person and so-and-so? And I'm like, if my joy can impact the people around me to be joyful, who can impact the people around them to be joyful, then they are much more likely to help the people around them who will help the people around them and so on. It has a domino effect. Absolutely. But, yeah. But on an energetic level, which happens much faster mm -hmm. than actual dominoes. <laughs> I know. I love the quote by, I think it was mother Teresa who said, invite me to a peace rally. I will never join you in the war rally. Yeah. And she just kept coming back to the truth of where we focus our energy, where we put our attention, what the outcome of that experience that you're participating in holds a vibrational energy that then creates change. And whatever that focus is, is what is going to create more of that. And that has stuck with me literally my entire life. And even when I'm on social media as an empath, trying to navigate and be the mediator, I just go back to that quote. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like engaging in this is not serving. So yeah. Yeah. I, I love that to quote too. I love that quote. And, and that's exactly how I feel even about cancer awareness. Invite mm. me to to something that researches how spontaneous healings happen or mm. invite me to donate to a cause like that, but not, you know, or not in the cancer awareness. And, and, the, and the whole thing that I don't like is we have been taught to fear our bodies, mm -hmm. that we are victims and that cancer just appears out of nowhere or illness appears out of nowhere. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you don't have to be afraid of your bodies. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. I want the listeners to make sure they can get all of your books, your newest book, which I am loving and reading almost done with the sensitive is the new strong, and then be able to connect with you. Cause I know you offer so much free content and so many different things that are available 
for sale. So what are the best places for them to go to? Thank to, you. To connect um, with you. I would love, well, my website is anitamorjani.com, but I would love for them to go to my YouTube channel where I do have a lot of free content. I also do like a YouTube series called View from the Other Side, where I offer my take from the death point of view on all kinds of issues. And also, um, I, uh, my, of course, my books are available everywhere on Amazon. And I do have a membership platform, which is called The Sanctuary. The, and so it's anitamorjanisanctuary.com, where I, I do live events on my membership platform, where we actually do deep meditation or healing journeys in real time with the members. That's incredible. And I highly, highly recommend that work. It's, it's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to embody it right? And it's another thing to be in your body experiencing something that just offers a deeper level of healing. And it wasn't until I started to do a lot of that somatic work where I, where I would meditate and be in the body and witness what showed up that I started having so many profound clearings. And so I love that you're doing that. And I, and I highly, highly recommend joining and being a part of that too. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much again for being here. It was such an honor and just so grateful. I could have asked you, I could have been like, what do you think about this? <laughs> you know, what do you think about this? Like from that, you know, from that perspective, from the other lens of, of, you know, on that side of healing, but yeah, thank you so much. You, you are so welcome. You asked beautiful questions and I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Wow. What a beautiful conversation with Anita. And I'm so grateful that she was here today to share with us her wisdom. I encourage you to remember this week, the profound, profound statement that she shared, which is fear doesn't keep us safe. Instead, it is living from a place of love that keeps us safe. This week, I urge you to take a stance for love and begin to notice how the energetic fabric of love binds us together. Notice where you can add more of this beautiful energy into the experiences of your life and notice where you can soften and let go of anything that threatens to weaken this emotion. Your presence creates ripples that extend to people that you'll never ever meet. And it's important to notice and remember that it goes both ways. At this very moment, you're being influenced by someone you've never met. Try this week to embody the energy of love no matter where you go, because you add value to those spaces and the lives of those around you and notice how it impacts you and your life. As always, your actions, most specifically positive, your intent, your choices, and your passion for life is what the world needs right now, especially in a world driven by fear. Remember that love keeps you safe and continue to bring it forward within yourself. And so I trust that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was a conversation I believe we can all benefit from. And so before you go, maybe you're struggling to tune out others' opinions and honor your inner guidance. Maybe you need a community that supports you on that journey. If any of this resonates with you, I invite you to join the Awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another specifically with the intention of love. 
And for anyone who's already part of that group, thank you so much for helping us build such an epic community together. If you enjoyed this podcast, then I also recommend listening to my podcast with Serena Poon as we approach the topic of spirituality from a different angle, which relates to food and well-being. Further, I would love if you drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating and what you want to hear more about. I would love to connect with you and of course celebrate you on the gram. You can find me at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love and I trust that you will have an incredible, beautiful week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here, you are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit. We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.